Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the union makes us strong. Hello, I'm Roscoe Mathieu, pronouns he, him, stranger, and welcome to Solidarity Forever, the History of American Labor. Episode 1, The History of the History of American Labor. Solidarity Forever is exactly what it says on the tin. The history of American labor, from the earliest beginnings in 1619 up to the latest developments of the 2020s, and maybe beyond, depending on how long it takes to cover 400 years of working-class history. Mixed in with the history will be how-to episodes, things like direct action tactics, union-busting strategies, and how to open up a conversation about organizing when you're absolutely terrified. This isn't just a podcast about labor history. This is a podcast about going and making some labor history of your own. But who am I to talk about unions and organizing and labor history? Until recently, I was a tech support agent at a company I'll refer to in this podcast as The Beast. The Beast is a Silicon Valley-type company, although neither they nor I are located in the Valley. When I joined, it prided itself on offering decent wages and the best benefits in the local private sector, offering amenities to employees on their spacious campus like an on-site gym and massages every Tuesday and a chipper, upbeat workplace attitude. After a couple of buyouts, mergers, and CEOs, they were descaling us into script readers while trying to turn the entire tech support department into a combination of sales, without commission, of course, and loan enforcement, all while training our offshored replacements and assuring the customers the company was not, in fact, offshoring all of tech support. They even replaced the old company values on the wall, like empathy and compassion, with no pain, no gain. Meanwhile, I had a daughter. With my wife, who in this podcast I'll call the Rebel Girl, we gave birth to our little union maid. I used up the four months' parent leave and fell in love with my union maid. I changed her diapers, sang her songs to sleep, fed her bottles, stood night watches to watch over her. It was glorious. It's not for everybody, but it was glorious for me, the Rebel Girl, and our little newborn union maid. Going back to the office was hell because I'd come home each night too exhausted from some fresh offense against my dignity and workplace conditions. I'd look her in the eye and feel like I was failing her somehow, because the company had just laid off another few hundred people, or taken away some key function I needed to do the job right instead of fast. The turning point came when I came down with a fever of 103, and had a fever dream where our raises were unfrozen and enough to pay rent with, where we were again customer support, not sales or contract enforcement, where the company trusted us with the tools, training, and experience to do the jobs they hired us for. A dream where we, the employees, were treated fairly. As my temperature came down, I contacted Code CWA, the people who organized Apple and Google. And if you work in tech, you should too. They hooked me up with an experienced tech industry labor organizer, offered free classes on the process of starting a union, even some material support. Then, armed with just enough knowledge to be dangerous, I reached out to a friend in the department, a friend I knew I could trust, and said, we can't do this anymore. We deserve better. We need to organize. After that, I started doing better at work. 
meeting the increasingly insane goals which were designed not to be met, getting on with my supervisor, taking the job seriously again, and when I came home, I could look my daughter in the eye because I was standing up for my rights and hers and everyone else's. I was showing her how to respond when someone tries to take those rights away and how to defend them. Because I didn't feel helpless anymore. In organizing the union, I was taking back the power that management tried to take away from me, from us, from you. I felt like I could make a difference and make things better. That's a hell of a mood. You'll hear all about my organizing adventures scattered across the podcast. They came to an end this last July, when I went on medical leave to care for my union maid and her mother, the rebel girl. I offered to work from home, but the company laid me off, along with a handful of others in the department, both union and non-union. So, what is an American union? What is American labor? American labor is all of the people in the United States who actually produce, build, execute, and do all the stuff that puts food on plates and makes the economy go round. Coal miners, city clerks, farmhands, baristas, airline pilots, preschool teachers, truck drivers, warehouse workers, nurses, coders, tech support agents. We're all the working class, and we're all labor. Without our brain and muscle, not a single wheel can turn, as the song this podcast is named after goes. It even goes up the chain a little bit. Your direct boss might be an ass, but if they collect a paycheck every two weeks from the real owners or the executives who give them orders, their labor, too, in their own way. Labor comes into conflict with management, technically the capitalist class. Don't worry, we'll get into that later. Management, at first, are the direct owners of the business. The guy who opened up the coffee shop where the baristas work, the woman who bought and expanded the hair salon, the boomer who started the beast. They own the company, they own the real estate, or pay rent on it, they own the tools, and they cut your check. They own your time. But when they get bigger, another layer of management is added. Actual, you know, managers. The owners cut them a check, but give them some control over the employees. And this is the key. Employees and workers report to the manager, and the manager has discretion over punishments and rewards and over day-to-day powers like schedules and tips. Lower-level managers can be labor, but more often than not, their interests align with the owners more than the employees. And management is not stupid. They know which side their bread is buttered on. After all, the owners cut them their check. In larger companies, the layers of management can be staggering. At the Beast, there were nine layers between me and the CEO. I know. I counted as part of the organizing effort. And he wasn't even the owner. A vulture capitalist firm out of Silicon Valley is. His job, if he doesn't want to get the axe, is to make sure the company turns out more growth, more dividends, and more money for the VCs, month over month, quarter over quarter, year over year. The vice president's job is to cut costs when he tells them to cut costs, so that next quarter the VCs make more money, and so on, all the way down to my manager, who has orders to get the tech support people to sell more contracts and then enforce them even if customer service suffers. You've got a similar story to tell, or you wouldn't be here listening to me ramble. The details are different, but the plot is always the same. The owners want more money. The managers get them more money by cutting down on everything. 
including you, the employees, the working class, labor. The way we fight back, the way we've always fought back in America, is with unions. Unions are organized labor. All the employees and workers, or at least a majority, working together toward some goal. That goal can be old standbys like shorter hours, better pay, workplace safety, or they can be less material goals, like diversity, equality, and inclusion initiatives that the company is legally required to take seriously, or removing intrusive tech like keyloggers and web blockers, or even the right to bargain collectively at all. And these things are possible. Every goal I've just named has been won by union effort, sometime, somewhere. The key word here is organized. It has to be all the employees, all pulling in the same direction at once, or it doesn't work. Quiet quitting by yourself is just painting a target on your back. But when everyone quiet quits at once, and promises to stop doing it when their demands are met, you've got management's ear, and might even get what you demand. To win those goals, get those demands, unions have two main weapons. Strikes and collective bargaining. Strikes are, at the simplest, when everyone agrees to put down their tools and walk away, withholding the labor, the brains and muscle, that management needs to do anything or, more importantly, make any money. Without any baristas, no coffees get made or sold. Without coders, no code gets written and no bugs get fixed. But strikes are the nuclear option, and there's a whole host of traditions and laws and escalations that have grown up around them. According to Code CWA, the vast majority of labor grievances never even get to the strike before they're solved. Let me expand a moment on Code CWA. The CWA is the Communication Workers of America, the national industrial union that covers telecommunications, media workers, and the computer industry. They helped bring down Bell, which used to be the only telephone company in America, and more recently were the force organizing Google and Apple. The code part is the campaign to organize digital employees, because until very recently, the tech sector has been very anti-union. White-collar workers with a widespread belief that their startups' IPOs were just around the corner. Code CWA is the nationwide program to fight back and organize the tech employees, so things like permanent crunch time and discriminatory hiring practices wind up in the trash can of history where they belong. So our first big weapon is the strike. The other big weapon that unions have is collective bargaining. Collective bargaining is exactly that. We, the employees, only agree to bargain or make a deal or sign a contract with management altogether, not one by one. You can't, say, pay the black woman 80 cents and the white man a dollar. The black woman and the white man are standing together and demanding to get paid equally. That's collective bargaining. If strikes are a heavy, blunt sledgehammer, collective bargaining is the Swiss army knife. From contractual agreements, like equal pay, to off-the-record workplace improvements, like finally fixing the air conditioner or distributing shifts more fairly, collective bargaining is the main weapon in the arsenal, the one we take out and use every day, rather than the one we keep in reserve for emergencies. There's a host of other weapons in labor's arsenal, and we will get to them, but right now, Strikes and collective bargaining, those are the tools that unions can wield. And the union, recognized or unrecognized, national or local, campaigning or secret, 
contract or non-contract, is all the employees who agree to work together as one unit to go on strike all at once, to bargain all together, to all pull in the same direction at the same time. You got that part? Good. Because that's how we got the weekend, safety rails, layoff protections, and the minimum wage. It's how we're going to get minimum wage of $15 an hour across the nation, get management off our phone on weekends, and get protection from layoffs that apply to everyone. Which brings me back to the podcast, Solidarity Forever, the History of American Labor. This is the story of American labor, starting at the beginning and going all the way to the end. This is how we got from there to here, why the Wagner Act was the fulfillment of nearly a century of working-class hopes and dreams, how the Homestead and Pullman strikes changed industrial warfare and labor relations forever, who Elizabeth Gurley Flynn was, how organized labor's racism dragged down workers both black and white, and Hispanic, and Asian, and Native, and... America has the bloodiest labor history in the world. Every decency and dignity we've won, every raise in pay, every workplace safety measure, every daylight hour we don't spend on the job, was bought with blood. Sometimes over and over again. We, labor, Unions have won some battles, lost some battles, made progress, made mistakes. Even if you're not out to change the world, or even organize your shift at work, this is part of American history, often an important part, and always a part that gets left out. Which is where Solidarity Forever comes in. From beginning to end, I'm telling the story of American labor. The highs, the lows, the in-betweens. I'm going to try to be as fair as possible, showing American labor warts, and racism, and corruption, and infighting, and all. I'm not a professional historian, but I've cracked open the leading books on the subject, titles in the show notes, and I can lay it out for the rest of us. And it's not just scholarly work, it's lived experience as well. As I said, I'll be peppering the history of American labor with my own history as an organizer and the nuts and bolts of organizing, maintaining, and winning with a labor union. And hopefully, when I get to the end, I can keep going, because you've made some more labor history. As I write this, President Biden has funded and empowered the National Labor Relations Board to undo 40 years' worth of decisions stacking the deck in favor of management and leveling the playing field for labor. The Writers Guild of America has just ended the third longest strike in Hollywood history with a resounding win that protects working writers and curtails abuses of AI and of copyright. The Screen Actors Guild, as of this moment, are still on strike. The Teamsters have negotiated a contract with UPS that eliminates the two-tier system where some employees get benefits and some don't, and all without striking. For the first time in American history, the sitting president is walking a picket line, up in Michigan with the United Auto Workers, who themselves, in a first, are striking at all of the big three automakers at once. Labor history is being made today. And if you don't like the labor history I'm telling you, go out there and make some labor history of your own. Next time, we'll start at the beginning, way back at the beginning at the birth of American organized labor, and its dark shadow, the birth of American 
slavery. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. Solidarity forever. For the 